0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. I'm going to start us by just reading the scripture, diving right into the passage, and then we're going to unpack it together. So here we are, John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? You got to love Thomas asking the questions that we'd probably all be asking. Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Amazing scripture. Okay. So right at the outset, I just want to draw out some of the tension that you may be feeling as we go into this passage. So last week we were looking at Jesus talk about, loving one another, and he's talking about even to the point of loving our enemies. Now, this idea of loving one another and loving even to the point of loving our enemies captures the inclusive nature of Jesus's way of relating to people and posture towards people. And this wasn't just in this moment in John, but we see this all through the Gospels. We see earlier in the Gospel of John, the way that Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman by the well in John chapter 4. And as he reaches out to her, just having a conversation with her, offering her salvation through faith in him, he breaks through the gender barriers and even the race and cultural and religious barriers of the time that kept people separated in the kind of caste system, separating the haves from the have-nots. And we see this trend, this pattern in Jesus' life, this inclusive trend, all through Jesus's ministry. We see him welcoming prostitutes, right? When the woman comes and anoints his feet with tears. And we see Jesus welcoming tax collectors. Like think of Zacchaeus or Jesus welcoming even the Pharisee, the, the uber religious snob who is excluding everybody else. Jesus is inviting them in. Think of Nicodemus. And when we read Jesus's life, we just see this really open, inclusive person. Now, that's what we looked at last week. Now, this week, it's like, whoa, hit the brakes because we get to verse six and we might be asking, who is this Jesus? Verse six says, Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's like all of a sudden, this inclusive Jesus Brings us to a point of like exclusivity that can feel really tight and crowded. I want you to think of like a funnel, a really wide point and then a narrow point. A lot of us are comfortable with the wide point of the funnel when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is open and loving and welcoming and forgiving. Like we said, to enemies, to Samaritan women, to tax collectors. But then there's this other side of Jesus, like a funnel that brings us to this focal point. It makes things really uncomfortable and narrow. Jesus is exclusive when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say I am a way or I am a truth. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And so that might raise objections in our hearts and our thoughts. We might be thinking, what about other religions? Or don't all paths lead to God? Kind of like a wheel, like a bike wheel with the spokes and the hub. You know, like all the different spokes are different religions or worldviews, but in the end, they all lead to God, right? In other words, aren't all religions essentially and fundamentally the same? And who are we to just to argue and claim our way is better than another? Who are Christians to claim that they have ultimate truth? So right here is the tension point. Last week, we see inclusive Jesus. This week, it's exclusive Jesus. I mean, are brought into this tension. And there's a tension in how we're supposed to respond to this. For some of us, on one end of the spectrum, it's offensive, right? Doesn't saying this, that Jesus is the way, doesn't this devalue other people's beliefs and thereby devalue them as a person and result in all the hate and bigotry and wars in our world? On the other end of the spectrum, We can find ourselves kind of arrogant, maybe a little bit smug and self-righteous, right? We have the way. And you better become more like us. You better dress like me. You better talk like me. You better think like me. And these are two ends of the spectrum, maybe two extreme points. But nonetheless, we probably have felt both of these in our life. Jesus is inclusivity and his exclusivity seem to be an irreconcilable paradox, and it creates tension. I want to talk about the tension of exclusivity for a moment. I remember when I was just married, I was in Starbucks, and I'm sitting there um, doing some work, and a cute girl sits next to me, and all of a sudden, without me even realizing it, I slowly started to unconsciously put my hand under the table and hide my wedding ring. All of a sudden, it just dawned on me what I was doing. I'm like, wait, why is my hand down here? What am I doing? And when I realized what I was doing, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm so used to trying to present myself as available to the cute lady next to me, but I had, wasn't used to the fact that I was actually now married. And by being exclusively committed to her, it meant I was no longer available to any other woman. And so when I realized what I was doing, I just put my hand up and was kind of waving it around and looking at my ring. And let's just be clear, this woman didn't care, did not notice me, but it was really more about me. The idea that Jesus is exclusive can create discomfort for us, but there's actually something really important and good about it. I want to talk about that today. What if Jesus's exclusivity or his absolute uniqueness is what actually makes him so radically inclusive. What if, what if his exclusivity is not in opposition to his inclusivity, but because he is exclusive, he can be the most inclusive person to have ever walked the face of the earth. And what if by accepting his uniqueness and his exclusive unique claims about himself, we put ourselves on a trajectory to be transformed into the most radically inclusive people on earth, just like him. That's what this message is about, okay? So what is so radically inclusive about Jesus's three exclusive statements? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Here we go. Let's unpack this together and try to untangle this and understand what is Jesus really saying about himself, about what it means to come into a relationship with God. So first, we'll start with the way. Now, in John 14, in, in the first few verses, Jesus says this. I want to read them again to you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I want you to pay attention to that word prepare. I will come back and take you to be with me that you, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going, which we know. Thomas is like, we don't know what you're talking about. Where are you going? And how can we know the way? Now what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about the way through sin. And he's talking about preparing a way through sin by way of the cross. This is what Jesus is ultimately talking about right here. Because remember, in the upper room, he is preparing his disciples to understand why he has to die something they had no expectation for. The meaning behind his death and how his death and resurrection changes everything for the world and for them as disciples. Now, Jesus claims an exclusive solution to the problem of sin right here, right? Listen to this, John eight twenty four. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Now, that is a really challenging statement, but what is Jesus saying? He is saying he has an exclusive solution to the problem of sin. Now, all religions admit there's a problem in the world. This is one of those things that all religions can agree on, okay? And it's because religions do agree on some things that makes people falsely assume that all religions are fundamentally the same, and they're not. Because, for example, the solution that each religious system comes up with on how to deal with sin is vastly different. For example, other religions focus on solving the problem of evil in the world with effort, earning, willpower, karma, reincarnation, and a bunch of other things that really all come back to one thing. You doing the best you can to save yourself. Okay, I go look into other religions, and this is the fundamental solution that every religious system offers in response to sin. But Christianity is so different because what Jesus offers is so radically exclusive or, in other words, unique. Christianity, or Jesus, focuses on grace. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Now, this cuts against the grain of all other religious systems. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. No one understood this better than Paul because at one point he was actually persecuting Christians, killing them. And so this guy, more than most, knew he didn't deserve God's kindness and mercy. Listen to what he writes. God saves you by his grace when you believe. When you believe what? Just believe that you're a good person? Believe that all things work out in the end? Believe that all paths lead to God? No. Paul is talking about believing in who Jesus claims to be and what he claimed to do. By believing in the way that Jesus has solved the problem of sin. He goes on and he says, and you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Do you see right here is where the inclusive nature of Jesus's claim comes in. This is what makes Jesus so radically inclusive right here. When he says you can't take credit for being in a relationship with God and you can't brag about it. None of you can boast because sin levels the playing field. And when you can't get right with God by your own effort, then you can't compare yourself to everyone else. Going, well, I did it right and you did it wrong or I'm somehow better. I'm more moral. I'm more intelligent. I was born into the right family. Jesus is the most radically inclusive person because he's saying you cannot have a relationship with God based on your merit. Because it's our merits are what, Separate us and create hierarchy, caste systems, competition, and comparison. And give us a sense of superiority over others. Our ethnicity, our gender, our skin color, our culture, our intelligence, our wealth, our popularity, our fame. How many likes that we have. Who we know, our morality, even our willpower. None of that merits a relationship with God. And if that doesn't merit a relationship with God, then the playing field is leveled. I don't know if you get what this is saying here and how radical what Jesus is suggesting is. But because he has done what nobody else could do, he's saying then, no one, it's not about comparing yourselves to each other and saying, oh, I'm a better person than that person, so I'll probably go to heaven. (laughs) Okay, that's the way. Jesus is the way, meaning he is the way through sin, through the way of the cross, where he would die to free us from sin. He's also the truth, okay? Let's talk about that, the truth, where we learn about Jesus's exclusive claim about the truth about his identity and your identity, your true deepest core identity. Deeper than your identity in your politics, athletics, your social circle, your achievements, your ethnicity and culture, even your gender. An identity that is more deeply rooted than all those things. Let's go back to John 14, verse 9. Jesus says, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time. This is in response to Philip saying, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, don't you know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You can just get this picture of like, Philip, looking over Jesus's shoulder. Hey, uh, so would you show me the Father? I would love to meet him. And Jesus is like, why are you looking over my shoulder? You're looking at him. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Remember that. He says, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. These words, don't you know me? Jesus' exclusive claim that he is more than a prophet, he's more than a good teacher or a miracle worker, but that he is in fact divine, that he is God. That is an exclusive, unique claim. Muhammad didn't claim to be God. Buddha did not claim to be God. All the other major religions of the world, their leaders, their spokesmen did not claim to be God. In fact, for Islam to believe that Jesus is God is a sin. It's ascribing to what they believe a human being, divine attributes that belong to God alone. All religions are not the same. Jesus is exclusive because he is unique. Jesus puts himself on par with God in this passage in two ways. Number one, back in verse one, listen to this. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I mean, think about that. He's like, don't just believe in God, believe in me. He is putting himself on par with faith in God. To believe in God is to believe in him and vice versa. Verse 10, I am in the Father, Jesus says, and the Father is in me. And because of this mutual indwelling that Jesus and the Father have, this oneness of nature and being that they share, they are distinct and yet of the same substance, both God. And because of that, that is the basis for Jesus' authority. And this takes us to truth because his authority is rooted in his unique divine nature. And so his authority on truth stands on that claim of identity. This gives Jesus an authority in what he says, does it on a whole different level than anybody else can claim. What Jesus says about ultimate truth regarding our origin, where we came from, or the meaning of our life, why we're here, or morality, how we should live, or even our destiny, where we are headed. Jesus claims unique authority to speak the truth into who you are because of the unique claim he makes about himself. He, in fact, is your maker, your Lord, and your God. And as your God, he claims ultimate authority over the deepest truth about where you've come from and where you're going. John 118 says this about Jesus. Get this. John chapter one, verse 18. "No one has ever seen God but the one and only son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He, being the Son, has made the Father known." And so because of Jesus' unique relationship to the Father, he has unique authority to reveal the deepest truths about who God is, who we are, and the meaning of our life. John 1.12, or actually, yeah, John 1 12 says this, because now this has implications about you and me. John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, I want to emphasize the word all, to all, not just to the Jews, not just to the good looking, not just to the priests or the, or the Levites or to the people who've followed through the certain religious system or have offered enough sacrifices or have made enough donations to their church. No, 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 no. He's saying to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What is this saying? It's saying that because Jesus is uniquely the son of God, he uniquely has the right and the power to make you a child of God. The Bible teaches that every human being is made in the image of God, meaning every human being is created with a spiritual DNA and has the potential to be an intimate communion with God and was made to know God. But not every person is a child of God. There is a distinction Becoming a child of God is about actualizing that potential as someone made in his image. It's about being brought into relationship, intimate relationship with God. So when the Bible says, when Jesus says, I will make you a child of God, he's talking about bringing you into a kind of relationship with God that is like the one that he has with his father, that is intimate, that is close, that is personal, that is rooted in unconditional love. Colossians 3.11 says this now. Here are the implications for the inclusivity of Jesus. Get this. Because of this, because we become children of God, we are brothers and sisters. And that creates an inclusivity that is so radical. Paul writes, because of this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slaves nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Meaning these Areas of how we define ourselves are no longer a legitimate basis to exclude and differentiate ourselves in a hierarchy of who is greater and who is less, because you and I both know that our world does function on that basis. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Samuel. It clearly says, man judges by the appearance, God alone judges the heart. Human beings are trapped Judging one another by superficial standards, by the outward shell of the person. Only God can really, truly look at that heart. But as we become children of God, the, it creates an inclusivity with people, a way of relating equally between male and female. Someone who's black, someone who's white or Latino. It puts us on equal footing and abolishes those barriers to relationship and equality. That's radical. Lastly, the life. He is the way through sin and through the cross. He is the truth. He is the truth about God because he is God, and he alone reveals the truth about your true identity And number three, he is the life. Verse 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is like the climactic crescendo of this whole thing. Listen to this. Jesus claims to have access to eternal life. That's a unique, exclusive claim. Muhammad did not, nor did Buddha. Listen to what Jesus says here. Verse three, I will come back and take you to be with me. What is Jesus talking about? I will leave and then come back. He's talking about dying and rising from the dead. John eleven twenty five. 25. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. This resurrection is both an eternal thing. It's an existential reality, right? Ontological reality, I should say. When we die, we can be certain that we're going to be resurrected and enter into eternal relationship with God. But it's also about our life on earth now. Because that life of Jesus begins to fill us in this lifetime as we believe in him through the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about next week in verses 15 through the rest of the chapter. But what Jesus is saying is this. If you believe in me, you, my life, my quality of life and the power of my life is going to begin to take residence and express itself through you now. He says, if you believe in me, you will do the works I have been doing. What kind of works did Jesus do? He healed people. He led people to faith in God, his father. He reconciled people in relationship to one another. Matthew, the tax collector, Peter, the fisherman, Peter, the apostle, Cornelius, the Gentile centurion. We see that in Acts chapter 10. We see Jesus reconciling, healing, forgiving, restoring, transforming. And we get to be a part of that through his power and his indwelling life. In fact, what this is saying is this. This is the exclusive claim that Jesus makes. Anyone and everyone can participate in God's life. He lays exclusive claim to reproduce his life in us. No other religious system even comes close to suggesting that, which is what makes Jesus so exclusive and so unique. Listen to this, Acts chapter two, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Do you see the the inclusive invitation? That was only possible Because Jesus died on the cross that the Holy Spirit could fill anyone who chooses to believe in him. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Here, we're going to go to a song of worship and just let this sink in with you. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying that by making himself exclusive, by saying only through me, everyone, anyone who's willing to receive him can come into his life. But we have to come through him. Where are you on your journey with God? Have you made peace with Jesus yet? Are you struggling with his exclusive claims? And do you see that by being exclusive, he has opened the door to more people than we could ever, ever, even ourselves, feel comfortable with? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your love that is so big. But there is no way to God except through you because of who you uniquely are. No other religious system or worldview offers the way, the truth, and the life that you exclusively and uniquely offer. And I pray that you would free us from the fear that we are have to be snobs or arrogant to believe this. And I pray for those who have not yet accepted this, that you would open their heart to receive you as their way, as their truth, and as their life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus said, Boldly and audaciously, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no no one comes to the Father except through me. Not because Jesus is arrogant, but because Jesus was uniquely the Son of God, had a unique relationship with the Father, and uniquely carried the inclusive, all-encompassing love of the Father for the entire world to offer a salvation that is open to anyone who chooses to receive and believe in him. Really, ultimately, the barrier for us as human beings is not having to be an elite person, being strong enough, good-looking enough. It ultimately boils down to, are you humble enough? Are you willing to admit that Jesus has done for you what you will never achieve for yourself, no matter how many achievements you acquire, no matter how much money you make, No matter how many people like you, no matter how successful you become, no matter how hard you try, you can never earn your father's love for you. It's received as a gift. And if you'd like to receive that gift and receive Jesus, I want you just to join me in praying right now. Just close your eyes and just put your hands out as like a symbol of receiving this gift from God. Here we go. Let's pray. Repeat after me, wherever you're sitting, just repeat these words after me. Jesus, I accept that you died on the cross to make a way through sin for me. Not just for the convict down the street or the person who's in jail or for the really bad people that I don't like, but for me and my sin so that I could be forgiven and restored into relationship with my heavenly father. I want to receive your eternal life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you please just text the number at the bottom of the screen? We'd love to encourage you, support you, give you resources to help you on your journey with Jesus because it's a personal experience to give your life to Jesus, but it's not a private one. We hope that you will join us and join our community as we walk together in following Jesus. God bless you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.